What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to episode 25 of the Clip City Podcast. I am your host, Yovan Buha, Clippers beat writer for The Athletic. And today, I have a special guest, the first Clippers employee to be on the show. Uh, that This is a groundbreaking moment. We have Sandro Gasparro on, the director of social media for The Clippers. Sandro, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Yovan. How are you? I'm well, man. I, I'm well. I, I can't complain. I am enjoying this offseason very much. Uh, looking forward to some time off at the end of the month. Yeah. And then uh, getting back into things in September. Awesome, man. Yeah, same here. We're, it's finally kind of dying down around here a little bit um, now that we're through July, which is nice. So hopefully everybody <laughs> around the team, uh, media and internally can uh, take some time off. I'm sure you guys need a little bit of a break after after how this offseason has played out, uh, which brings me to the first question I wanted to open up with you, just because I think this is anyone from the Clippers, basically, I've talked to over the last month. This has kind of been uh, my, my first question to them is, where were you when you found out about Kawhi Leonard and Paul George joining the team? Yeah, so obviously, you know, I found out at the exact same time that everybody else did, um, which is the, the Woj bombs and, and Chris Haynes bombs uh, right at like, what was it, like 10.50 p.m. that Friday night? 10.53. Uh, 10.53, exactly. Um, and so I, I was actually in an Uber on my way to like meet up with some friends um, at a bar, which I quickly had to redirect <laughs> back to my apartment. Um, it's funny. It's like some of us were at summer league. I was back in LA, but the rest of a, a, a good portion of our team was at summer league. So we all just like got on the phone, um, talked through a bunch of stuff over the next hour, two hours. I probably went to bed. I think that even though we weren't announcing for a few days after we were kind of preparing, like we were going to announce uh, that next morning, just in case. Mm -hmm. And so we were up probably to like 3am, just like talking stuff out, planning, prepping content, prepping copy. Um, and then ultimately, I don't think we ended up announcing until Tuesday or Wednesday later in the week, but it was nice just to get all this stuff out of the way. But we were operating like it was going to be the, like 9 a.m. the next morning, the second the moratorium was lifted, like we were going. Um, but but it, it didn't work out quite like that. So, so we have, I mean, we have different stories, but somewhat similar. We're yeah. like, I, I was packing for Vegas oh, and I, I had a morning flight. And at that point, I had kind of mentally checked out where I was just like, all right, it's after 10 o'clock it's a Friday night. Like, let right. me just relax, watch some Netflix pack. And, and you know, the, the Tobias Harris trade actually happened in a similar fashion where we were in Charlotte and it was the same thing. I had a morning flight was packing, just kind of relaxing. And then all of a sudden that dropped and that just kind of messed up my night, but similar thing. I mean, I had pre-written a lot of what ended up being my, my story from that night, but yep. no one really saw the Paul George thing coming. So that's where, uh, you know, I had to spend a couple hours writing on that. But yeah, I just it's just funny to hear some of these stories where everyone was just kind of 
going about their Friday night and then this, this yeah. you know, bomb drops. That's a totally regular night. Uh, like, that's <laughs> funny though, like you said, I, our office, front office tends to operate in the late night for whatever reason. Um, like the Tobias trade and Boban trade, uh, which, you know, obviously netted us Landry. Um, we played the game that night mm -hmm. and in Charlotte, I was again back in LA and I like, and the game was over, I want to say at like 7 or 7.30 p.m. Pacific. Um, and I was just like on my couch wrapping up work. And I ended up like passing out on my couch probably around 10, right before the trade happened. Um, and then I woke up at like 3.30 uh, <laughs> to like <laughs> text messages. Uh, the same kind of thing. This was a little, actually somehow a little bit less strenuous than that one, um, but still kind of wild nonetheless. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, the, the, those late nights are, are yeah. tough, but that, that's that's part of the job, and, and oh, yeah. it's kind of it, it's fun. Um, so now to kind of take a step back and, and go to the beginning of this whole uh, process and experience yeah. for you, um, can can you give us a little bit about your background and how did you end up on on the path to becoming the director of social media for the Clippers? Uh, I'm sure it, you know. There's many twists and turns along the way, and, and mm -hmm. um, you know what what brought you to LA, what brought you to the Clippers. Yeah, so I guess just to start from the beginning, um, I uh, graduated college in 2012. I was a sport management major, and honestly, the reason I was a sport management major is because I was like, oh, sports are cool. Um, <laughs> I don't know what I want to do in them, but they're cool. Um, I didn't really figure out what I wanted to do though until after college, and so I was working at the University of Michigan Athletic Department um, in 2012 as like my first full-time gig out of school, um, doing like a, as a more generic like marketing role. And I kind of quickly realized I wasn't too interested in that. But at the time, Michigan had a head of digital. Um, and I thought what he did was really cool. I was like, oh, you're running social for the football team, you're running social for the basketball team, you're gonna email, working on ads, different things like that. So I just asked him one day um, if I could kind of like shadow him and learn from him. And I think just because he had like pretty much no other help. He was like happy to just bring me in um, and let me kind of learn. Um, and from there, you know, I just so slowly started to pick things up as it related to social, slowly started to pick things up as it related to digital. Um, and by the end of the, to my time there, I was running social for both the basketball and the football team, which was really a lot of fun and a lot of responsibility to heap onto like yeah. a three-year-old though, like at the time, <laughs> you know, in 2013, it was very common for like super young people who were essentially interns to be running these accounts. Um, from there, I was doing a lot of different things at Michigan and I wanted to focus on social full time, uh, because I really thought it was something that, that I had a knack for. Um, so I left and went to the Philadelphia 76ers where I, uh, was their social media coordinator for a, for a year, um, out in Philly, part of the process, uh, Joel and <laughs> a year, so he was injured. Um, but we had a lot of fun nonetheless with that really like super young, scrappy roster, a bunch of guys just trying to make it to the league whether it be like Robert Covington, who's still in the league today, or guys who I like really enjoyed watching, like Tony Roden, who is not in the league today. Um, from there, I went to a company called Endeavor in New York, um, formerly WMIMG. It's basically like a really big marketing and talent agency, but they also run a lot of live events. And so I worked on like social strategy for their sports events there for like three years, um, doing a lot of everything from like professional bull riding to like Euroleague, which was really fun watching, like going to like Istanbul and watching Luka Doncic play. Um, wait, 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 wait. I, I got to stop you there. Professional yeah. bull riding. Yes. That, 
That is something. All over the place with these events. Yeah, like literally guys on bulls trying not to get killed. Um, but they had like events at Madison Square Garden, stuff like that. They're actually at the Staples Center this past year. I couldn't go. It's some, It's something worth seeing. I'll say that much. It's really insane competition. That's um, awesome. But so I, I, Endeavor was awesome just from getting kind of my strategic background. Um, and also, again, just like experiencing so many different events and working with a really cool team. Um, that said, about a year ago, well, now a little over a year ago, I was kind of feeling the itch um, to come back to the NBA or work in the NBA mm-hmm. again. Uh, I had missed it from my Sixers days and just being in general like a huge NBA fan um, and loving the sport of basketball, I just thought it'd be really cool to do. And um, the Clippers actually came calling probably around like June, May or June of last year. Um, they basically said that they were trying to revamp their, uh, content team, their content approach, um, tell the story of the team in a much different way this season and, and going forward. Um, and I was pretty intrigued by it. I went in and met with the organization, you know, it seemed like they were really willing to invest in this and really valued content and frankly, a way that not a lot of other organizations do. Um, and then honestly, then I found out that they were talking to Charlie Widows, who's our executive director of content at around the same time. And so I knew that, that and I re- at that point, I really knew that they were serious hiring another person who's, who's really great. Um, and honestly, like what drew me, like at the end of the day, what drew me to the Clippers beyond wanting to get back in the NBA was like, because they were willing to invest, uh, the opportunity to really build something up from scratch. Like our, our team is almost entirely brand new this year, um, and kind of really set the tone for the content. Um, and then just work with for and with people who I just have like a ton of respect for, like across the organization, there's a lot of great people here. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the last year has been a lot of fun. I'll say that. <laughs> I'm sure in yeah. the last month, I'm sure last month, only yeah. added to that. <laughs> uh, so what, what's what been the best part of the gig for you then? Has it just been getting back into basketball? Has it been the people you work with? So, you know, I don't know, both of those or... Is there something else? What, you know, what, what have you enjoyed most? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think really the, the, how rewarding it's been so far to really build this up um, and being around this team and being a part of this organization has been just a blast. Um, again, not many people are willing to invest the way the Clippers have invested in us. And I think it really shows through the content that we're creating compared to some of uh, our counterparts around the league and, and in sports in general. Not to say that there's amazing work being done across all sports, but um, but I think we do, I think we're right up there. Um, and then, yeah, just like at the end of the day, being just around the game is awesome, right? Like, like if you <laughs> yeah. really want to boil it down, like we're, we're just trying to think of like ways to entertain our fans and excite them uh, about the team. And we're just, we're watching basketball and posting like on Instagram at like <laughs> at the most base level, um, which is really cool. Um, so it could be a lot worse. What is... Uh... On that note, what do you think is the biggest misconception about running a team social account or or being the public voice of, of a yeah. team in, in that respect? Um, yeah. You know, what what don't people understand about it? Um, I think, well, some people I, I think you still see it's pretty common that a lot of people assume like interns do this, um, mm-hmm. which is, <laughs> you know, it was the case about, you know, eight years ago, but it's certainly not the case now. Like this is a real job in a real profession. And I think, you know, because anybody can, anybody can have a Twitter account, anybody can have an Instagram account, anybody can post, anybody can do anything. So everybody kind of thinks that they know what works, what doesn't work, what's right, what's not right. When in reality, like we are looking, you know, we're not doing this like frivolously, like we are looking 
very hard at the numbers, at what's working, at what's not working, and what new things we can try, what we can tweak. Like we're constantly trying to learn from ourselves and learn from our fans and, and what they respond to um, so that we can do a better job like telling the organizational story in a way that's like exciting and entertaining to our fans. Um, I think just again, just in general, the amount of like work on the back end that goes in, especially on our team, um, is something that probably most people assume doesn't happen. So what, what's that process like? Is that like spreadsheets or, it, you know, what, like kind of how are you yeah. tracking that stuff and, and how are you kind of breaking down this is working versus, you know, are you looking at engagement percentage or what, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm fairly clueless on, on this myself. So I'm just curious kind of how that, that whole process works. Yeah. So it's a mix of a few things. Um, we use a handful of tools that kind of help us slice and dice content and look at content that's performing well, look at content that's not performing well. Um, like one, for example, is called Crowd Tangle. It's owned by Facebook, but basically it lets mm, like yeah. it scores all content. And so I can see like we posted this awesome pilot of Trez dunking and it got like six, seven, six point seven time in engagement compared to like another post. We can be like, okay, like what can we glean from this? Like what what can we learn about this post besides people obviously saying like, oh, well, we love Trez dunks. That was maybe a bad mm -hmm. example. Um, <laughs> and then also, I, I think everybody loves. Yeah, that. we're also very specific about like the, we we use a tool called Track Maven to tag all of our content. So we are tagging every type of content based on a lot of different factors, whether it be the media, whether it's a photo, video, graphic, or the player featured, or the actual video itself. Like, is it an in-game highlight? Is it a walk-in photo? Like, we're, great. we're basically looking at every different type of content and looking at how it's performing. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like, again, a lot of that is just, like, if something's not performing well, we're like, okay, how can we either, do we either keep doing this or do we like redo it in a different way? Um, or if it's something that's doing really well, it's like, do we lean into this more? Do we do more of content like this? Um, it's, it's, so it's really a mix of like these tools that help us kind of understand, but then our own intuition of like looking at the data and trying to like pull some insights out of it. And then I, I assume there are differences too from platform to platform where... Yeah you know, Facebook versus Instagram or, you know, Instagram versus Twitter or YouTube or whatever, like you guys are going to have different audiences or different types yep. of engagement on that. What, what are some of the things you've seen between the, the platforms that kind of resonate differently? No, totally. So obviously, you know, like um, Twitter, very much a home for the NBA, right? Hashtag NBA Twitter mm -hmm. is huge. <laughs> um, We've seen, you know, on Twitter, we see that like a piece of content can, and you see this in just everyday life too, like a piece of content can like really blow up really fast on Twitter um, if it hits the right people and it gets posted at the right time. Um, and then also obviously Twitter is like a really big platform for just like in-game coverage, right? Um, like people go to Twitter for game updates and want to see what's going on and see the best things from the, from the game, whether they be highlights, whether they be bench reactions, whether they be, you know, Steve going nuts on the sideline, like people want all that. Um, Instagram is probably our biggest platform it, in the sense of like where we're spending a lot of our effort in terms of like really trying to understand. Um, last year at this time, our Instagram engagement was like brutal relative to what it is right now. Just people are kind of disengaged uh, with at LA Clippers on Instagram for whatever reason. And so we basically spent all year trying to like, that was where we were doing the most testing, just trying to figure out what worked, what didn't work, how to bring people back. Um, and so, I mean, we felt like, you know, Instagram, it's like, like anything else, uh, something that evokes an emotion really does the best. 
uh, but especially on Instagram. So whether that be like excitement because it's a great play, pride because the team won, or even something like humor, like we've done some kind of like, you know, off base, uh, not quite, you know, normal Clipper content the last month around, you know, signing the guys um, because we're having a little bit more fun with it now. Um, but there's just a lot of, it, it's always about evoking emotion on Instagram and, and any other platform. And then Facebook is one that's been, you know, we found that longer uh, form video does really well there, for example. Like, so like our Lou feature that we produced at the end of the year uh, did really well on Facebook, also did really well on YouTube. And that's another thing. YouTube is like really all about just like, extended long form video, um, stuff that tells a story, stuff that I, hopefully we can get to an episodic point where people are like expecting, you know, every Monday at 6 PM, they're getting this piece of content. Um, but that's where we're trying to go. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of like nuance to each of these platforms, um, which is pretty cool, but also like just part of the challenge. Like there was a point, you know, a few years ago where everybody was posting the same thing everywhere. Um, and now each of these platforms is getting like really, really distinct. And so that's a, that's a fun challenge for us. Well, we, we got to keep it real here. The, yeah. the real reason that Lou featured it so well was because I was in it. I was featured <laughs> a, a few yeah, times. Great pull quote in there. People came for, for that. Yeah. So that, 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 that was what it was. <laughs> um, no, but you guys have been, have been doing amazing stuff. Uh, we will get into the, the strategy, you know, a little bit more of the strategy of the, of the voice and the tone and the success mm -hmm. you guys have had after this quick break. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. No matter what you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, saves money on shipping costs, and keeps your customers happy. And right now, Clip City listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, and even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in blue. At shipstation.com, then enter promo code blue. Shipstation.com, make ship happen. So one of the things I wanted to get into with you is just the the kind of branding and the tone of the team because I think the team really took on an identity last season that hadn't really been, you know, around the Clippers for for some time. I mean, there was the Lob City era, and that kind of had its own identity, but um, I, it just kind of feels different with, with this iteration uh, of the Clippers. And I, I'm curious when, when something like that is developing. Like you guys probably looked at the roster and had an idea, like, okay, this is going to be a, yeah. a, a tough, hard nosed team, but you don't really know what it's going to be like until they're actually playing, until they're on the floor. So, how did that kind of process go last season? Of kind of developing a, a social brand and identity simultaneously as the team is kind of developing its identity and, and sort of overachieving expectations. And it, it seemed like those two really aligned really well. And 
you know, was it kind of a chicken or the egg type thing? Or, or, or you know, was that kind of a, a very conscious thing of this is how we want to develop as the team's developing? Yeah, I would say it was we take our our leadership or our notes from the top. Um, so from Steve, Lawrence, Doc, Jerry, like all of them really, our goal is to reflect their voice and their tone um, through our accounts, right? And also the t- and that of our players as well. So the characteristics that they're bringing to the table are all things we want to re- reflect in our account. So it really starts with them. It actually really helps though that this year we had a team, you know, a lot of teams like to say they're hard playing. A lot of teams like to say they're tough. A lot of teams like to say they're really competitive. But we had a team, that, a roster that really was, right? Like we have Pat Beverly, we have Trez. Um, like we're not messing around. We have Jermichael Green. Like we have a bunch of tough guys. Um, and so we really wanted to bring that out through our voice. And I think, you know, that's, Something, though, that definitely took some time to develop in terms of, like, what the right ways to speak were, what the right words were. Because um, we don't want to just, like, with every single post, be like, yeah, we're hard playing. Yeah, we're huff, tough. Yeah, yeah, we're competitive. Like, we can't just use the same. We have to, like, so we have to kind of develop a vocabulary around the team. Um, and I think we really kind of started to hit our stride with that probably around, like, uh, January or February. Um, but it was something that evolved a lot over the course of the year. And even as, like, the team, you know kind of loosened up a little bit towards the end of the year. Like when Pat was talking about the people in the back, uh, like we pull from that a lot. Like we really um, lean on our, on our players and our, and our um, front office for like how we talk about the team. Because at the end of the day, that, like, that's who we're supposed to be representing. Um, yeah. Hey, so so why, why do you think you guys have been so successful? Because um, you, you were just voted the number one NBA team social account by your peers on, on STN digital. Yep. Um, you know, I, I think on complex had their list and you guys were somewhere in the top 10. Um, and it, it just seems like universally you guys have, have gotten a lot of praise, uh, a lot of recognition uh, across the social community uh, for the work you did last season. Um, so I'm just kind of curious, uh, you know, and obviously it's, a, it's probably weird talking about your success and then, um, things going so well, you know, it can be kind of weird for people to talk about that. But I'm just curious from your perspective, what you think, um, why you think that's been, you know, has it just been how hard you guys work? Is it just been, you know, the team clicking so well together? Or uh, you, like you said, you guys like to experiment and test different things out and really, you know, figure out what's working and what's not working? Or what, what have you seen versus, you know, where you've been in other stops, whether, you know, Philly or Endeavor or wherever, you know, Michigan, Mm-hmm. Um, that that's really worked so well with, with this Clippers social group. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, first of all, like that really meant a lot, um, the STN honor, um, because that was actually voted on by people who do what we do across the NBA. So to, it's one thing to get, you know, for complex, which meant a lot too, to shout us out, but to honestly get that recognition from like our peers, um, really, really meant a ton. And we're like super grateful for that. Um, as for what makes us successful, I think, um, is a few different things. Um, again, I think going back to the organization, just to start, like their willingness to um, both invest in content and give us the access that we need to like to tell these stories about the team and also to kind of have fun with the team at the same time through social um, is really like they recognize the importance of it. And I think that goes all the way through from like, again, hiring us in the first place, letting us make the hires we wanted to make during the season uh, and leading up to the season and then actually going and executing against the strategy. Uh, the second part is the fact that like we have a strategy. Um, we, me and Charlie and everybody else spent a lot of time I- around this time last year, really thinking about like what 
how we wanted these channels to look and what we wanted to do with them and how we wanted to kind of reshape Clipper social. So it was like extremely satisfying uh, for us to basically kind of go from last year's starting point where not a lot of people were paying attention to us on social media uh, back to this year where we're getting, you know, thankfully a good amount of recognition for it. Um, and then, yeah, and then it's just like the people, right? Like we have just such, we're not a huge team. Uh, I think we're seven full-time plus two full-time interns. Um, and honestly, every single person is super innovative, super hardworking, um, and just like cares about this, um, in a way that I, you know, it's hard to find people who are willing to invest that much and put that much time in, but whether it be like. Our, our director of production sending me uh, cut downs of like the Lou feature at like 3 a.m. the night before we're dropping it or our graphic designer, uh, social producer, Paula, who is actually also profiled by Complex. Um, she's awesome. Working on like late into the night after he came back against Boston to make like a really whip around, like a really awesome uh, 28 point comeback graphic, um, largest comeback in franchise history at the time. Like everybody's just kind of willing to go like that extra mile and everybody's just super talented. And I think we just mesh really well together. Um, so I just consider myself really fortunate to be, to be a part of a team like this. So uh, I'm also curious when you add, you know, because part of the identity last season, and, and this was something I wrote about um, earlier in the off season that, that I was interested in was last season's team had a very clear identity they, they had a very clear culture and mm. you know part of the rallying cry in the locker room was basically like no egos no stars and that was sort of a thing where the, the team rallied around being a very um you know so, sort of a group i don't know if a group of like miscasts would, would, would be mm. too representative of what i'm trying to say here but like just kind of a, a, a underrated group where yeah. again, like no one picked them to make the playoffs. They, they make, you know, the eight seed, no one picked them to, to, you know, few picked them to win a game against the Warriors. They went two games and just a lot of guys, you know, second round picks, undrafted guys, guys who had been traded multiple times. It was kind of just this identity of the locker room. Uh, and that was something that, you know, was just very special, very tangible. Yeah. And you saw how that manifested on the court. Um, and, and I was curious, like if you add a star to you know, how is that going to change things? Now, that's a whole separate thing of, of on the court in the locker room. But I'm curious for you guys on the social side, um, you know, going from how things were last season, where, you know, yes, I'm sure there are some guys that maybe perform better than others in terms of social, like, you know, everybody loves Shea and, and Lou and Trez mm -hmm. and Gallo and on and on. But now you're adding two guys in, in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, who you know, by, by any, basically by any measure, two top 10 guys, clearly, um, you know, all NBA caliber, all stars, um, you know, MVP type guys. How does that change the social strategy at all? Uh, you know, do you, how do you kind of balance the, like, these are, you know, these two guys are going to have a lot of interest nationally, yeah. locally, you know, there's going to be a lot of fan interest in anything you're posting about them. Like, how do you balance the, we got to like, you know, kind of give people what they want and, and feed them the hits, so to speak, but also like, you know, kind of find that balance of like not overdoing it or, or make, you know, making basically turning into like a Kawhi or PG fan account, you know? So, right, so, totally. so how, how do you kind of find that balance? Yeah. Well, I think like, you know, I don't think that much is going to change as far as our strategy goes. And especially as far as our messaging goes, um, this team 
still very much in my eyes, and I think in our organization's eyes, reflects the characteristics of last year's team, despite adding two, you know, bona fide stars to it. I think even PG and Kawhi kind of fit those um, those characteristics that, that Lawrence and Steve and, and Doc always talk about. So that won't be that hard integrating them. Um, and then also, um, you know, as far as like balancing everything, we, we always want to show as much balance to the team as possible and make sure we're showing love to all of our guys. Um, because, and, you know, sometimes that's in different ways of like, if it's, you know, for example, Shay, it wasn't always about his performance. Like we obviously, he was great on the court, but it was showing his, you know, fashion and different elements of his personality um, that was different. And then, you know, with Trez, it's highlighting his energy. It's his love for sneakers. It's his, you know, like, just like, go, go, go. Uh, Pat being the voice of the team. Like, I don't think that that too much of that kind of stuff is going to change from social. Um, but yeah, we always are going to be mindful of like, how much we're, you know, love we're giving to one guy, making sure we're giving everybody um, kind of the shine that they deserve, frankly. Like, it's our job to help build these players' brands through the Clippers account, um, and so we take that really seriously. Um, so, but yeah, short answer, I don't think too much is going to change, but it is something we're going to be very mindful of um, heading into the season. How exciting is that, you know, for, for you, though, to, to add those two types of guys? Because, I mean, the NBA, maybe more so than any other sport, is a very strong, star driven league and i'm sure just in terms of you know following engagement all that stuff like having two guys of that caliber definitely helps make your job easier or, or at least more interesting to some extent 100 does uh make it a little bit easier just because again there's there's going to be just you know we're going to hopefully have more national tv games this year which means there's gonna be more eyeballs on our um on our accounts for one um so like we have more of a stage which is really exciting and more of an opportunity to kind of showcase the work that we can do and the stories that we can tell about the organization um that was kind of one of the harder parts last year at the beginning of the season was like when everybody was kind of wondering if the clippers were for real um like do they deserve our attention and we that's why we didn't really start capturing people's like really really capturing people's attention across the league through social i want to say until like february um, but the first few months where everybody was like, kind of like, oh yeah, no, they're 15 and six. Yeah, no, whatever. Oh, they just traded Tobias. Yeah, whatever. Um, but this year, like people's eyes are going to be on us from like day one. So that's a tremendous opportunity and also like a tremendous, um, responsibility for us too. Right. Like we have to make sure we are really buttoned up and make sure we are doing everything in a way that, that, rep that represents the, represents the organization, uh, really well and really positively. Is that pressure exciting for you? Yeah, no, I think it's great. I think, you know, I've worked for, um, you know, the Sixers when I was there were not very successful, but there's still a lot of, there was a great fan base and a great audience that was mm -hmm. constantly engaged. When I was at Michigan, the team went to the final four, went to the championship game one year and the elite eight the other, elite eight the other year. And it is obviously being around a winning organization is a ton of fun. Even being in the playoffs this past year again uh, with the comeback, the 31 point comeback in the game uh, five win, just like it's that, I kind of thrive off of the energy that the crowd brings that the game has. Uh, it actually kind of helps me lock in and do my job a little bit better. So I'm excited to have kind of have that all year long, hopefully. I feel like fee is going to end up being someone that fans really like on yeah. social that that's going to, I'm, I'm, I'm high on fee. I'm, I'm buying fee stock. Yeah. We've um, got some good reactions. He, we had, we did a great gift shoot with him and Terrence actually, if you guys want to search like yeah. Clippers gifts on Twitter and stuff like that, like there's, a lot of great ones uh, with those guys. Yeah, they, they both have awesome personalities, I think. Uh, so last question here, wrapping up, 
um, though this might spawn its own 30 minute conversation. <laughs> uh, what is the al dente fam? And oh, uh, I know that was something that started last season on at least uh, that I saw started last season from the team kind of side when um, you know Gallo was on the team last yeah. season, so there was kind of the the natural Italian tie in there. But um, what what is that for those who don't know? And I, I know it's something that you, you talk about a lot on social and on your Instagram <laughs> stories on Twitter and stuff. So. What is that for people who have no idea what that is? Yeah. So for anybody who doesn't follow me on Twitter, but if you go to my Twitter account, you will uh, see it right away. Um, when the pasta is al dente <laughs> or is not al dente has been like my consistent like shtick for pretty much three years now, which is really sad to say, I think, but <laughs> it's kind of like a silly fun thing for me to do. Um, basically, so the premise al dente to go even further back and I don't want to take up too much time on this. Uh, oh, no, no. Uh, Platform is yours. Al dente is like perfectly cooked pasta. Like when people talk about pasta being perfectly cooked, they refer to it as al dente. Um, so when the pasta is al dente, obviously you're very excited. When the pasta is not al dente, you are very disappointed. And as somebody who cooks and eats a lot of pasta, this just kind of like clicked with me. And actually what happened was three years ago, pretty much, uh, when I was working on EuroLeague basketball, Andrea Bargnani was playing for Basconia in Spain. And, um, he put, he had like a putback layup or something like that. Nothing too exciting, but he had like this, like great, like really excited fist pump as he, uh, ran back to the other end of the court back on defense. <laughs> and for some reason, like, that's just what I saw. I was like, Oh, this is like that feeling when the pasta is al dente. Um, <laughs> and that kind of started it. And basically it's been a net, like a, just a continual like Twitter thread since that day. Um, of just like different moments throughout like where I work or the, what's going on in the news or whatever, as it relates to whether the pasta being al dente or not al dente. Um, it's so stupid, but I have way too much fun with it. Um, and I found that I can apply it to pretty much anything if I really want to. Um, and then the, so the hashtag al dente fam actually came from, uh, I don't know if you know him, but Ian Pierno from League Fit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who is a great <laughs> friend of the program. Um, but yeah, shout out Ian. Cause you know, he has like cozy fam, um, mm. with league fits. And like, I think I, I don't know what it was. I made some joke commenting on at league fits and he replied, I think with hashtag al dente fam. And I was like, well, I'm just going to put this in my bio now. Um, <laughs> so it's not, it's, it's 100% a movement. If anybody wants to get involved, we are, uh, we'll talk pasta. We'll cook some pasta. We'll, post about pasta i'm i'm in all, all, the, all the way so the, the, then two follow-up questions to that yeah what is your favorite type of pasta and how much pasta do you have each week or, or each yeah. month so my favorite type of pasta hard to say but any of the roman like staples i would say so okay amatriciana which is tomato guanciale pecorino uh carbonara which is egg pecorino guanciale cacio e pepe which is just cheese and pepper which is amazing uh for whatever reason i kind of i go go in that direction um okay. and i try to cook those as much as i can i probably i mean at this point i probably eat pasta like i would put it at like three nights a week um okay. because it's really easy to cook um there's a lot of variation right you can do all these different sauces all these different shapes all these different textures um and it doesn't set off this my I have, my apartment has a very sensitive uh smoke detector for whatever reason <laughs> like I meat or fish or anything 
like no matter what it's going up, the pasta does not set it up. So I've really leaned extra hard into it since moving to LA. Um, but yeah. All right. Well, we'll, we'll have to get some, some pasta sometime. We haven't done that yet, but I'm in. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm in. <laughs> uh, so Sandra, where can people find you personally uh, on social media? Um, and then obviously, I mean, at LA Clippers and on every platform, but uh, if there's anything you want to promote right now or, you know, get off, uh, uh, you know, hashtag El Dente fam, <laughs> use it, you know, engage with it, comment on it. Uh, but yeah, anything you want to promote or, or just, you know, social handles, whatever. No, yeah. I mean, obviously, please, if you're not, I mean, I would assume if you're listening to this podcast, you probably follow at LA Clippers, um, <laughs> but please engage with all of our content. Um, we have very ambitious yeah. engagement roles. Um, and then, yeah, no, if you do want to just like see my silly pasta tweets, I don't, I tweet mostly about pasta and the Clippers um, at Sandra Gasparo on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you can get a window into my weird psyche. <laughs> All right, man. Well, uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. Of course. Thank you. For that. Uh, I, you know, shout out to Charlie Widows for somewhat facilitating this. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I didn't know you guys could come on, so I would have asked you, you know, uh, a while ago, but, uh, you know, he, he mentioned that, that, you know, that there was some interest. I was like, sure. Course, you know, yeah. I'd love to have him on. So, uh, shout out to Charlie for, for doing that. It's a landmark <laughs> episode as well, number 25. It is tw- 25. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see uh, what it ends up getting to. I'm, you know, very, very happy with the last, how the last six months have, have been going. So, um, all right. Well, thank you to Sandro. And I will talk to you guys next Tuesday. <laughs>